Well, good morning. We welcome you to Redeemer Church this morning, and we're glad that you can be part of this time as we gather before uh, the living God and uh, hear from Him and uh, be able to worship Him uh, this morning. If you are visiting with us, uh, we are very glad that you could be a part of this uh, time together. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better, and uh, we ha have a coffee time after the service. We'd love for you to introduce yourself and be able to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, one of the other ways uh, you can make your presence known is by uh, texting the word welcome to the number that's on the screen there it just gives us an opportunity to know that you are here. Uh, the pastors love to, you know, take people to coffee or lunch or something and just be able to get to know you a little bit um, if that's something you're interested in. Or you can fill out on paper. There's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you if you're interested in using paper instead. Uh, today, as you can see, we have the great opportunity to come to the Lord's table, and uh, this is our hospitality Sunday. Uh, which basically means that we have encouraged the congregation the last four, almost five years, um, that on a Hospitality Sunday, our, our first Sunday of the month, uh, that we just encourage you to be inviting one another over into your homes to enjoy a time of fellowship um, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, it also means there's no Sunday school uh, for this particular Sunday. And so our Sunday school teachers kind of get that break and can enjoy that time of fellowship as well. Uh, we have, after our worship service this morning, a uh, brief congregational meeting. Uh, Pastor Dan uh, has been called to a different church in Vienna, Virginia, and uh, you as a congregation called him uh, five years ago to uh, be a pastor at this church, and uh, so it is our responsibility to uh, release him uh, to the next call where God has him, and so we will be doing that right after our morning worship service. Uh, also, uh, after the uh, morning worship we have, and after the congregational meeting, uh, we have our adult choir practice for uh, the upcoming Christmas season. If you're interested in that, you can meet here. Uh, the children will not be uh, singing uh, here up front this morning. Uh, they will have uh, children's choir practice after the evening uh, service. And then uh, also after the congregational meeting, for anybody that's, any of the ladies that are interested in the um, studying the book, Is It Abuse? by Darby Strickland, the domestic abuse care team is going to be having an informational meeting, and that's just right down the hall in the conference room uh, for any of the ladies that would be interested in learning a little bit more about that uh, today. That's a 12-week book study starting in January, and they'll talk about it uh, at that particular meeting. Uh, coming up this week on December 7, we have our uh, women's holiday cookie decorating. So wonderful opportunity. Today's the last day to sign up if you're interested. And then on Saturday, we have our food pantry. Uh, you can see the items that are still needed for this coming Saturday, so we'd love for you to be a part of that and even coming to help serve if you can on Saturday morning. And then uh, last announcement is just regarding our giving tree. Uh, that is in the foyer. All of the uh, items are, are listed there, and we're just asking you to um, take whatever uh, tag you do and, and buy that item and bring it back by December 17. And uh, it's a great opportunity for us to care for one another uh, during this Christmas season uh, or be giving to the uh, uh, Haitian refugee uh, opportunity as well. So those are, those are the options this morning, and uh, glad we can be a part of that. Oh, sorry, one last announcement uh, is actually the fact that there is a, a misprint in the bulletin regarding youth group. Uh, tonight is high school youth group, uh, not middle school youth group, just so we're clear on that. There's just a misprint there. So tonight is, Dan confirmed it. If you have a question, ask him, but uh, high school youth group tonight. Well, let's take this moment now and prepare our hearts as we come before our God.
What other faith is expressed by joyful and powerful songs of praise? We, among all the people on the planet, have reason to rejoice because our Savior has come. The psalmist says in Psalm 100, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. So that is our opportunity right now to sing Joy Has Dawn as we stand together. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come with thankful hearts that you have given us this opportunity, that you have set apart this time because you are worthy of worship and that you have sent your one and only Son 
for sinners like us, that he would live the perfect life, that he would die the death we deserve, and he would uh, rise again, that we might have that greatest of hope and that greatest of joy as we put our entire faith in him and in him alone, uh, that we too have eternal life and that we are bound to you uh, by the very blood of Christ. Lord, you are indeed our God, the uncreated one. Amen.
Thank you. You may be seated. Well, that king that we have just sung about, how, how does any king administer his rule except by his word, right? As he speaks, his word is law, and our king is the king of all kings. And uh, that law that he has given to us is to direct us uh, how we might glorify him, how we might reflect his character, uh, but it also is a tool, uh, an instrument of the Holy Spirit to prick our consciences of the things that we need to be confessing uh, to our gracious God. And so as we've been going through our Ten Commandments, we come now to um, the second portion uh, of the Ninth Commandment, uh, looking at the sins forbidden uh, in that particular uh, commandment, and to Uh, help us uh, in understanding what God wants us to confess. I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, and then we will confess together answering the uh, question from our catechism. God's Word says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so answering this question Uh, What are the sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? The sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment are all prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors as well as our own, especially in public judicature, giving false evidence, suborning false witnesses,
I did break that down to one slide, um, and uh, I guess there was a miscommunication in creating that. Um, so there was a lot there. <clears throat> but uh, if I was to focus on, on one thing, uh, I think Ephesians 4.29 does help us with that uh, in regard to the uh, larger catechism uh, and the focusing on uh, the building up of one another, uh, how easily uh, there are times when we um, can you know, think of the negative things that we see in front of us, people that do and say things or don't do and say things that we uh, either don't like or things that we do like. Uh, and as we are concerned for that, you know, the ways that we easily either tear them down in our minds or even with our mouths to other people, uh, the Lord has called us uh, to repent of that, to turn from the backbiting and to turn to the, the, the discipline of focusing on building up uh, one another. That is the, the call the Lord has for us, obviously that being unpacked in grand detail from all that we have uh, confessed uh, from our confession. But if there's one thing to focus on, uh, that is what the Lord is calling us to uh, this morning. So let us go to him in silent prayer. Lord, you know that we are a people who have unclean lips. And we know that it is out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouths speak. And Lord, we know that to try to control the human tongue is virtually impossible. We know that it is a flame that can set an entire forest ablaze. And yet you have called us, Lord, to use the power of the tongue to build up. You created the entire universe by the word of your mouth and as those made in your image, we have been given a unique power, not to create out of nothing, but for us to speak in a way that builds up rather than tears down. Lord, it is only by your grace uh, that you can guide us to that end. It is so natural, Lord, for us to wag our tongues in a way that tears down. It is so easy. We feel so much more powerful. And yet true power is found in creation not destruction. Or may you do that work in each of our hearts and each of our lives in the way that we speak to our spouses, the way that we speak to our children, the way that we speak to our neighbors and to one another. Lord, it is only a work that you can accomplish for your great glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord gives us a promise of pardon from Psalm 34. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Well, he is indeed our refuge. And it was the angels that got to declare that that refuge came to this world for us.
to bring praise to him. And we have opportunity now to sing along with those angels who praise him all day long, every day. And as we stand to sing, angels from the realms of glory. Please join me in our prayer of thanksgiving. Our Heavenly Father, we come unto you this morning thanking you for your mercy and grace to all of us in another week gone by. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being in your house, worshiping and praising your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for yet another Advent season, for the songs of Christmas that we can praise your holy name with for the preaching and reading of your word of the birth of our Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the miracle of the incarnation where God the Son became and was born into human flesh. We thank you, Lord, that you lived a perfect life, resisting the temptation of sin, willfully going to the cross to pay the price that our sinful hearts deserve. We thank you that you rose from the grave, that you overcame sin and defeated death. We thank you that you uh, have given us true forgiveness of our sins, that we can cling to salvation and eternal life that is found in you and you alone. Lord, we rejoice in your word as we read, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We thank you as well, Lord, that we can, uh, for the sacrament of the Lord's table, 
May we uh, truly remember and believe that your body was broken and your blood was shed for the remission of all of our sins. And now, Lord, as we uh, come to uh, the preaching of your word, we pray that you would be with Pastor Jeff, that you would fill him with your spirit as he once again preaches the gospel message to us. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would uh, take the word in, keep us from distraction. May our uh, worship honor and glorify you this morning. We pray as well uh, for your hand of blessing upon the offering that is about to be taken. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's go to our God in prayer. Father, you fill our lives with so much good and beauty and joy. And we are very grateful this morning to be in this place with others, to sing and to hear beautiful music, to hear the word of God and to respond in praise to you. Your word says that among those evidences that the spirit is at work in us is love and then joy and peace. Father, in a world in which there's often very little joy or the joy that we do find is joy in the creation rather than the creator, we are thankful that you have opened our eyes to see that the greatest and deepest joy we will ever experience as human beings is a joy that we find in the presence of our God. When we can come here with peace, when we can know that you accept us, that you welcome us as your sons and daughters, that there is no reason for fear or hesitation. We can run to you because you desire for us to be here, to be with you, to see your beauty and your glory. We pray for those this morning who are walking through difficult stretches in their lives. We pray for Joshua Hill's grandma as she recovers from surgery. And as, Lord, we pray for her recovery that she would be well We pray that you would give her relief from the symptoms that trouble her and that she would be able to finish chemo soon. We also pray for the great niece of Tracy Bassigill, for Avery. Lord, it sounds as though she'll be in the ICU for a long time. And we pray that by your grace you would make that time shorter than what is anticipated and that you would give her quick recovery. We also pray for Amalia as she recovers from her surgery. Thank you, Lord, for the content spirit that you've given this young girl. We pray for her parents, for her mom and dad, and for her sister. May they be helpful to her, and we pray, Lord, that there would be no more surgeries in the future. We also pray for Peter Lorip. Thank you, Lord, for the recovery that you are giving him. We pray that we continue, that you be work in his body as well as in his heart. And we pray for Dan Corhorn and for all those who love him so much, for his immediate and for his extended family. Thank you, Lord, for the surgery that happened only a short time ago and for the success. We're thankful, Lord, that it seems to be a good outcome. And we pray, Lord, that he would not uh, suffer any lasting effects, especially, Lord, that you would keep him from any infections. Lord, we ask that in the future he would be declared free from any cancer, and that he could live a long and happy life with his family. And then we pray for Zach Francois and all those who are working in Haiti. Thank you, Lord, that Zach could return there. We ask for his continual protection and for those who work with him, that especially Christians in that community where there is so much upheaval, they would bring a sense of stability and even peace, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would do a transformative work in those communities and in that nation as a whole. And as Zach looks forward to being in our area in January, we look forward to seeing him. It gives us a sense of what the Apostle Paul said when he said he longed to see the face of those that he had ministered to. And Lord, we have the same desire with Zach. And we pray that you would keep him safe and bless his work as he comes back to the U.S. to see us and also to raise support. Father, you are a very good God. And as we pray through these prayer requests, we also think of those that you've answered. Lord, we think of those who have undergone surgeries, those who have asked for help, those who have needed your care. Lord, we praise you for the many ways that we can see you answer. 
both in these prayers that we have offered publicly, but also those that we have asked for in our hearts and in our families, and we can see you at work. Father, you have told us that your will is that Jesus Christ to be glorified, and we are thankful that in these answered prayers, in the way that we see you working, we can see the glory of your Son. And so we raise these things to you before your throne this morning and ask that you would answer according to your grace, for we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. The second passage in the Gospel of Luke that we're considering in anticipation of the coming of our Savior and the celebration that happens at this time of year is from Luke chapter 1. As you can see your bulletin, this is the second, what I'm calling a song that happens in the um, incarnation narrative. You'll notice it's identified as a prophecy, but if you read it with me, I think you'll agree that this is not an impartial prophecy. In fact, this is the father, Zechariah, thinking about his son and the one that his son is looking forward to, and he is singing with genuine joy. This prophecy brings him hope. And so from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 67, we'll read through verse, verses, uh, the verses through 79. Give your attention to the word of God. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant, that, grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of God. May he bless it this morning as I proclaim it to you. This morning, if you are nine years old, I want to talk to you specifically and recount to you a story that happened to me when I was nine years old. At nine years of age, it was in the middle of the summer, it was 4th of July, and in the town next to the one in which I lived, there was a 4th of July holiday parade. Some of you have been to those. The candy is thrown, kids line the street waiting for their Tootsie Rolls, hoping they won't be smashed. In this parade, there was a clown, and I could see him coming. I remember him very clearly in my mind. Big red nose, oversized painted lips, orange hair, big floppy shoes. He was a large man, whether naturally or his costume, I don't know. I could see him walking on my side of the street, and I could see him coming close to me. Little did I know, little did he know, that earlier that week I had watched an episode of Little House on the Prairie in which a clown does terrible things to a little girl. 
And as he got closer to me, I kept thinking to myself, here comes a clown, here comes a clown. And as he was maybe a few feet away, I ran from the side of the street behind the house in front of which we were sitting and hid under some bushes next to the garage. And my parents eventually came to find me and asked me what was going on and I told them. Even if you're a little sympathetic to nine-year-olds, you can understand the fear that comes in a situation like this. Many of our fears are very similar. We remember what has happened in the past, and that past makes us hesitant about the future. In today's passage, we have a second song from the Gospel of Luke. And Zechariah is telling us, and this is the thing that I want to keep you in mind, that I want you to keep in mind as you listen What Zechariah tells us in this second song is that we as the people of God can sing like you serve God without fear. And he tells us how that is possible. And there are two things I want to explain to you about this serving without fear and the joy that it brings. If you're wondering what I'm hoping will be your response When this sermon is over, I'll just tell you up front, I want you, Lord willing, to have the same tone that Zechariah expresses in this passage, that you would be filled with the joy that leads to singing because you believe that it's actually possible for you to serve God without fear. That serving without fear should bring that kind of exuberant joy that Zechariah expresses in this passage. There are two things about this I want you to hear. The first is why we would expect that we would fear. And the second, what this song says about the removal of this fear. First, why is it expected that we would fear? And that comes really in verses 67 through 75. And to give you a very clear idea why I've said this passage is about You should sing like you can serve without fear. I have point you, I'm going to point you to the very center of this passage. If you look at the end of verse 74, we have what I take to be the hinge of this song. It's like what everything builds to. It's the peak of the song. Zacharias sings that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, read this, might serve him with out fear. If you read the rest of the words that come before that phrase in verse 74, Zechariah explains in very succinct language this prophecy and what it says about the history of God's people. In verse 68, it says, for he has visited and redeemed his people. What I want you to understand is that the reason why the Israelites fear is because they have a history, God's people have a history in which there is good reason to fear. When Zechariah says in verse 68, for he has visited and redeemed his people, I want you to hear that idea of visitation as full of Old Testament meaning. In the Old Testament, that 
description of God's arrival, that he is intervening in history in a way that's obvious and clear, rather poignant. Sometimes that can refer to God coming in history in judgment. He visited judgment upon his people. But more often, when the Old Testament says that God visited his people, it is God coming to protect or to care for his people. Let me give you an example of that from the Old Testament. From Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. By the end of Genesis, you know that the people of Israel are in Egypt. Joseph is about to die. And the people with him have plenty of questions about what's going to happen when Joseph, who has served as their protector, the one who has brought them to this place of safety, the one who has given them food to eat, what's going to happen to them after he leaves? So in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph says, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up from this land. Joseph says your hope for the future is that God is going to come. It's going to be clear in history that he has arrived, and when he comes, he will come to care for you and protect you. If I can just expand on this in even greater ways than I did as Joseph. And in Exodus 4, verse 31, next chapter of the Bible, we read about God visiting his people, and we read about that over and over and over in Exodus. That's repeated multiple times in that book. In chapter 4, verse 31, we read, and when they, that is the Israelites in captivity, heard that God had visited the people of Israel, they bowed their heads and worshiped him. In fact, if you want to know what the book of Exodus is about, this is one way to describe it. The entire book of Exodus is about God visiting his people, coming to deliver them in a way that is obvious and clear to them that God is the one doing it. And these visitations, this deliverance from Egypt, was just one example, the most poignant instance in the Old Testament of God saving his people. Zechariah now talks about that saving power of God Repeatedly in this prophecy, this song of prophecy, verse 71 says, so that we should be saved from our enemies. The end of verse 74 says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. God's visitation coming to see his people, coming in power to deliver them, is at the very core of the song that Zechariah is singing as he thinks about his infant son, John. And as you listen to him sing, you might think to yourself, this half of the song is full of joy. Why in the world, pastor, would you say that this portion of the song is actually about deliverance from fear? Why fear? Why does that hymn section of the song say that we might serve him without fear? To understand that, you need to think about the history of the Old Testament people. It was not simply that the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, and at the time in which this was written, the Romans were in control of the people of Israel it was that God's people feared, not simply because they were under the control of a foreign power. That was not their primary problem. 
Rather, it was that the people of Israel, listen to this, were given by God into the hand of their enemies. That's the story of the Old Testament. It wasn't that the Assyrians were stronger than God and God passively sat by as the Assyrians invaded the land. It was that God opened the borders and used the Assyrians in order to discipline his people. He was bringing them through the fire of affliction. He was refining his people. Why? Because the primary problem in the Israelite nation was not the Egyptians, it was not the Assyrians, it was not the Babylonians, it was not now the Romans. To put it in the language of Ezekiel eleven nineteen and Ezekiel thirty six twenty six and Jeremiah thirty one thirty three, the primary problem the Israelites faced in the Old Testament was their cold, stony hearts that rebelled against God. That was their problem. That was the enemy that they were facing first of all. You see, if the enemies are not first of all out there, but they are in here in our own hearts, you can understand why we might be led to fear. Why they hinge this passage, this prophecy, is the hopefulness that at some point we might serve him without fear. Because if the problem is in here, friends, then you know, as the Israelites did, that that's going to be with us. It's not some problem way out there that if only the Assyrians or whatever is the Assyrian in your life is gone, that everything will be right. No, you're carrying around in you your primary enemies. And then you can look at your heart and your life, what you've said and done, the thoughts that have gone through your mind even this past week. And you can compare that with the greatness of God and His holiness and you are right to fear. Again, it's not difficult for me, and I hope it's not for you as well, to look back over your life and come to the conclusion that you've done quite a bit in that life to offend God. And it's not just what you've done and what you've said, but be honest with God. It's even the intention of your heart with, what you have, with, with which you have done those things. Be honest, you've wanted to do those things. It wasn't that they just slipped out and accidentally all of a sudden they were there and you're like, where did that come from? No, the unkind word that you've spoken, the thing that you've stolen, the coveting that exists, the lust that you battle is not a problem from the outside in. It is a problem with the outside, but it's primarily a problem with the inside. Those sins you sometimes cultivate, you like them, they appeal to you, you find comfort in them, you're hoping they will bring you peace. I can think of very clear instances in my own life when I have offended God and I knew it. I can remember committing sins, thinking before I committed them, I know this is wrong. Have you never thought that? To give you one very simple example, have you never been in a conversation with someone you love and you've said in your mind, I'm not going to say that? And then less than 30 seconds later, what comes out of your mouth? Exactly the thing you said you would not say because you knew it was wrong and yet you just couldn't help yourself, could you? You just had to say it. 
I can remember lying awake at night literally in fear of God, just waiting for him to drop the other shoe because of what I had done. And it kept me from serving God with joy. If your life is lived primarily from fear, it is no surprise that there is very little joy. Instead of joy, there will be dread and a desire to hide far from God. And so when I read this passage, I can see why fear is reasonable. Because I see the effects of sin in my heart and my life, and I know that dynamic. So that if you have thought this morning that you have reason to fear, I would tell you, you are not crazy. Far from it. You're being realistic about who God is and who you are before him. You're accurate. You're right. It's expected that you would fear. Just as the Israelites would fear as they looked at their lives collectively and individually over time. There is a reason we fear. It is because we stand before a holy God. And yet somehow I told you that the hinge of this passage that we might serve God without fear that the hinge of this passage is in fact possible. That even though there are many reasons we might fear in our hearts, it is possible that we might actually serve him without fear. Instead, the fear would be replaced with genuine joy. And that genuine joy would come from a holiness and righteousness. How is that possible? How is it possible if we're honest with our hearts and we see what is there and we evaluate our lives that we might at some point be able to sing with joy with Zechariah that we will serve him without fear. How is that possible? That's the second half of this song. It's the removal of that fear. In verse 76, Zechariah begins to tell us how that is possible. And he addresses it to his infant son, to the one that we will know as John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You might not realize this, but John the Baptist is rightly, rightly considered the last of the Old Testament prophets. Why is he considered the last? Because John the Baptist is the final mouthpiece of God, designed and sent by God to draw our attention to the Messiah who is coming. He stands in the same line as Ezekiel himself, Jeremiah and Isaiah, all the minor prophets, all of them had one central purpose, and that was to point our minds and hearts and to pin our hope on the coming Messiah. And Zechariah recognizes that about his son. That he is a prophet of the Most High. If I can fill it out, he is the last prophet of the Most High who in the Old Testament's great story of redemption would point us to the coming Messiah. And Zechariah fills out what it means for John to be a prophet of the Most High. He says he will go before him like a servant crying out, The King is coming! The King is coming! The King is coming! 
He will tell people about the salvation that God intends for his people through the one who is coming and the forgiveness of the sins. Genuine forgiveness of sins. The things that we have done to offend God. Zechariah says, I know, John, even though you're this tiny infant now, God is going to use you as a prophet to point people to the one who actually forgives those sins. And John explains why in this section, the second section of this chapter, because God is tender-hearted to his people. He has mercy on them. And like a sunrise, it gives light to a new day. Not what happened today in Michigan, but just imagine... A sunrise that gives light to a new day. And the joy that that brings to your heart. Zechariah says, the one who is coming will shed his light on us as his people. It brings back that idea that is found in the first few verses of the Gospel of John. Where John says about the coming Messiah and he was light. He was the light of men. You see, the message that Zechariah is singing about is not about himself. It's not, first of all, about John, his son. It is about the one that John is pointing to. It is a song to his son about that Messiah, the fullest expression of the grace of God. He is the embodiment of the light of God's favor shining in darkness. It is not about running from that mercy. No, Zechariah says, there is no reason to run in fear from the Messiah who is coming. Rather, in that light, there is no reason for fear. The Messiah is coming in that grace to shed his light of mercy to all who would see. And that, my friends, is what moves Zechariah to joy. To sing this prophecy that it is possible, as the New Testament says, that a perfect love could drive out fear. In fact, in Jesus' own life, one of the most common things he said to his disciples was, do not fear, for I am with you. And if I would capture the second half of that song in just a phrase, it would be that one later on from Jesus' life, do not fear, for I am with you. I am here as an expression of the mercy of your God to you, instead of having to run from him, You have me, and therefore you can come before him with joy. And that's the same thing I'm saying to you this morning. That's why I'm saying that you can sing in joy about serving your God without fear. Because it is not only the case that someday when you die, if you believe in Jesus, you will stand before the God of the universe who will say to you, you are covered in the blood of my son, enter into eternal life. That is true, praise the Lord. But it is also true here now in the spot in which you're sitting in this place that your service to God is acceptable to him because of the sanctifying work of Jesus. Do you believe that? I have to say on my own heart, the second of those two is much more difficult for me to believe than the first. There's never been a moment where I've doubted in my life, not to say people don't, I just haven't. I have believed since I was a small child that if I died, I would go to be with my Savior Jesus. I'm very thankful for that. That's a gift. 
that the Lord has given. But where in my own life I've struggled terribly at times is with the sense that in this place and time that the Lord accepts me, that he loves me, that he welcomes me into his presence, and that the service that I'm offering to him is acceptable to him because of the sanctifying work of Jesus. Think of how that would transform your parenting, the way that you do your work, the marriage that you're involved in. Think of the way that would affect your view of your own sin over time, that God is not holding that against you. He's not just waiting because of things that you've done to clobber you over the head with it. Instead, the eternal justifying grace of Jesus Christ is also a sanctifying grace that he is working really in you now, changing you from one degree of glory to another. And in the work that you offer to him now, your Lord delights in your service. I must rest absolutely, resolutely, Upon that truth, or my work will be perpetually filled with fear. I'm not suggesting if you know that you're living in rebellion of, uh, against God that it doesn't matter. I'm not suggesting that at all. If that's the case, repent, so that's not the case any longer. What I am suggesting, however, is that even on this side of glory, it is possible for our God to receive what we are offering to him sanctified by the work of Christ. So that even if we are imperfect, even if the work that we're doing is not all that it could be ultimately because we're finite and fallen, even now the Lord can accept that work and he can do amazing things through us. Do you know how many meetings I've had after which I go home and I think, I wonder if I should have said something differently, if I said too much, if I said too little, if I really know why I'm saying that, if I said the right thing at the wrong time or the wrong time, the wrong thing at the wrong time, all those doubts. Am I the only one who has that? And yet somehow... In a way that is glorious and beautiful, I know that Jesus is mediating for us. So that in what I do, even if it is far less than perfect, my work is presented before my Father in a way that is acceptable to Him, and He uses it for a glorious purpose. My Savior covers my sin. And he covers your sin as well in his own blood. And he makes me and you as perfectly acceptable to his Father as Jesus himself is to his Father. And I have to tell you this morning, oh, how my heart sings for that truth. It's almost unbelievable. Last week a friend asked me, to meet with him. He told me that something I'd worked on for a long time, for months, and had poured a lot of time and energy into hours and hours and even some tears. What he said to me is, he said, I think you did a terrible job. You made some horrible mistakes. 
you really messed it up. And it caused people great pain and sorrow what you did. Perhaps he is right. I told him I'd think about it. I think he's right in some ways. I don't mean that flippantly, but I think he is. And about other things, I've come to the conclusion only the Lord knows. I don't, and he doesn't, but the Lord does. But even in those times where we don't know what we have done and how effective it is, and we can look back and we can say, I wish I would have done that differently or that would have been better. I do know as certainly as I stand before you that God is able to use us for good. Do you believe that? God is able to use you as you are for good. His power and his mercy are that great. And the Lord does that because of the mediating work of our Savior Jesus. So that this morning, after difficult meetings through this week, it is possible to stand before you without fear. Instead of being overwhelmed by what-ifs and should-haves, and it's never going to be good, which is my natural disposition, instead to take to heart the hinge of this passage that it is not only possible that we might serve him without fear, but because of the second half of this song, because of the Messiah Jesus Christ, we do serve him without fear. And then instead of the fear that often is in our hearts, we can come to worship him and say, but not this morning. Not that fear this morning. No, oh, no. Instead, confidence in his presence. Singing the song of Zechariah with him. I am singing for joy this morning. And Zechariah asks you, and I do too, the scriptures do, to join us in singing. Because the truth of the word of God is, we do serve him without fear. Praise the Lord for the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things that roll around in our minds as we think about our service to you. And if there are things that we do need to repent of, things that we are doing in rebellion against you, Lord, bring those things to our hearts. Bring us to a point of repentance. We do not want to live in opposition to you. But in those places in which the evil one uses memory of what we have done, those things that have been forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, replace that fear and that dread with confidence and joy in the work of our Savior. That even as we are now, we are acceptable to you. And as much as we want to make that rooted and grounded upon how much we've grown and changed and how wonderful we are now, know the same ground of our acceptance to you in justification is also true in sanctification. And that is we are acceptable to you because Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. 
Lord, even in the places where we've done and said things that should not have been said, bring us to forgiveness, to a point of asking for forgiveness and repentance, but then also fill us with the confidence that our God is even greater than our sin and He can use these things for good. Father, we are grateful for this, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet and then sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
Maybe in listening to the sermon this morning, you wonder to yourself, how is it possible that God could bring good out of evil? How could God do great things through someone like me? And I want to give you assurance of that truth by looking this morning at Acts chapter 2 and a couple of verses. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He's speaking to the people of Israel. And he says in verse 22 of that chapter, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. One of the greatest mysteries of the gospel is that God works redemption through what appears to us to be impossible means. How is it that God would bring his great salvation through a child? How would God bring salvation through death and a cross? How is it possible that through the intention of these Israelites to kill Jesus, that God was working to bring our salvation? There's no answer for that except the mercy and the power of God. So that when you come this morning to the Lord's table and you eat the little piece of bread and you drink the juice, I want you to meditate on those truths. That the beauty of the gospel is that God works through impossible means, at least in human estimations. And he does that to highlight the character of who he is. And God is able to do that still. Not just in the death of Jesus, he's able to transform us and use us in ways that are beyond our imaginations. This morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to come, whether you are a member of this church or not. If you believe in Christ, if you're following after him, if you've joined yourself to a body of believers, this table is not just for members of Redeemer, it's for members of the body of Christ. Please come. On the other hand, if you're new to the Christian faith and you're not sure what this is, or you're living in rebellion against God, or you're still in sort of an infancy stage in your walk with Christ and you don't belong to a member, or you don't belong rather to a body of Christ, While these things are being distributed, and as you're listening to what I'm saying, think about the death of Christ for you. After the service is done, there will be elders up here in the front, and they would love to talk to you. Whether you're a new believer in Christ, or you have something else that you would like to pray to the Lord about, they would love to talk to you about faith in Jesus Christ. So come this morning to this table without fear. Know that this is God's provision for you in Jesus Christ. I'm going to set aside these elements to our God in prayer. And then after reading the section of Scripture in which we will emulate the Lord's Supper, these elements will be passed to you. As you receive them, just take them in your hand. And after everyone has them, we'll eat and then we'll drink together as a body of believers. Would you join me in prayer? Father, in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, you give us tangible ways to see and to taste and to smell that you are God who is good and that you do things in a way that is contrary to what we experience in most of life. 
in our works and in our politics and in our culture as a whole, those who are strong and powerful succeed. And that power is used to bring about the desire of the one who possesses it. And often that power is used in cruel and ungodly ways. But in the gospel, we see that Jesus Christ comes in humility and he offers himself in death to stand in the place that we deserve to receive the judgment that we rightly would receive. So that as we eat and drink, we are doing so in faith, believing that Christ is ours, that we are joined to him, that he is not an alien being somewhere far away that we know nothing about. Instead, he is our God. He is our king. He is our shepherd. He is the one who provides for us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would set aside these elements to this great purpose as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. He blessed it, and he broke it, and gave it to his disciples as I, ministering in his name, now give this bread to you.
Our Lord Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup, and having given thanks, as has been done in his name, he gave it to his disciples, as I'm ministering in his name, now give this cup to you.
Would you join me in prayer? Father, the death of our Savior Jesus was in our place. Your word tells us that clearly. We are overjoyed for that truth. And as we have heard and we have brought into our hearts that truth this morning in the preaching of your word, now we also taste, we smell, and we sense that the promises that you give us in Jesus Christ are true and real. Confirm those to us, Lord, especially those of us who have doubting hearts, those who often fear, those who wonder about eternal life, those who remember those times in the past where they were grievous, grievous and life-dominating sins. Lord, help us to see that the mercy of Jesus Christ is greater and richer and fuller. It is more powerful. It is able to cleanse even the darkest heart. And so we give you praise, and we serve you with joy, for we come in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to stand for our final blessing. Just a reminder that after the benediction this morning, which is our final song, there's going to be a short congregational meeting. If you are a member of our church, rather than leaving, if you could just stay here and just sit back down. Um, I don't anticipate the congregational meeting lasting very long. Um, and so the sooner that we are um, organized, the easier that will be. Receive this blessing from your God. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you need to leave, feel free to do so. Otherwise, if you could just sit down again if you're a member of our church. And even if you're not a member, you're more than welcome to stay and observe. Or you can go enjoy some coffee and cookies.